0: Welcome to the weekend edition of The Daily Stoic. Each weekday, we bring you a meditation inspired by the ancient Stoics, something to help you live up to those four Stoic virtues of courage, justice, temperance, and wisdom. And then here on the weekend, we take a deeper dive into those same topics. We interview Stoic philosophers. We explore at length how these Stoic ideas can be applied to our actual lives and the challenging issues of our time. Here on the weekend, when you have a little bit more space, when things have slowed down, be sure to take some time to think, to go for a walk, to sit with your journal, and most importantly, to prepare for what the week ahead may bring. The Daily Stoic is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. One of the cool things about podcasts is that you can multitask while you're listening. You probably know I'm a heavy metal fan. Uh, I grew up on Iron Maiden and Metallica, and I just, I love heavy metal. So a bunch of people told me that I needed to read this book by this guy who I'd heard of in the news. I think many people heard this story. Basically, he's the lead singer of this dark heavy metal band, and a fan dies at one of his shows, falling off the stage. Things like that happen tragically at shows, and he goes on with his life. But then years later, he's arrested and thrown in a Czech prison and charged with the death of this person. And uh, he ended up writing an incredible memoir about it that was actually represented by an agent who's a friend of mine, uh, Mark Gerald, who's worked with Robert Greene as well, and a bunch of other uh, cool people. I didn't know much about it. I hadn't gotten around to reading the book. Obviously, I was familiar with the band Lamb of God and listened to some of their stuff. It was just sort of existing vaguely in the back of my mind. And then uh, we had a benefit here at The Painted Porch a couple months back and uh, a guy uh, came in, uh, his name is Curse, a very fitting name, and Curse said, hey, you should meet my friend Randy. And he said, you might know him, he's the lead singer of Lamb of God. And it all clicked, and uh, I emailed Mark Gerald, uh, the friend, uh, our, our mutual friend, and said, hey, I just met a friend of Randy's, and he said, you gotta have him on the podcast. Curse said the same thing. Randy came in to the bookstore a couple months ago We spent some time talking about writing and life, and it turns out he is a huge fan of Stoicism. Literally almost every day he shares a quote from one of the Stoics on his Instagram, which you can follow at Dr. Randall Bly, uh, B-L-Y-T-H-E. But anyways, as it happens, he wasn't just a, a recent student of Stoicism, but had been studying the Stoics, particularly Epictetus, before his life was turned upside down, when he was indicted on manslaughter charges in the Czech Republic, um, ultimately he was vindicated. The, the the Czech court held that the liability for the death lay with the promoters and security members, and and ultimately they acquitted him on the charges. But you can imagine watching your life uh, flip upside down that way, and and it was it's a sort of a stoic thing, right? Through something no fault of your own or not entirely your fault, and suddenly. Th- fate puts you in a position that many of the Stoics were experiencing, whether it's exile for Epictetus uh, or Masonius Rufus, whether it's trumped up charges in the case of Rutilius Rufus. Um, and how do you get through that? How do you face imprisonment, uh, although not for as long, but as as Admiral Stockdale did as well? So we talk all about that in this wonderful interview. Uh, I, was, I was really hoping to go see... Uh, Lamb of God play with Megadeth here uh, when they were in Austin. Uh, It was right in the middle of the Delta surge and, and and, uh, I didn't feel right about with the kids. So uh, I didn't go, uh, but uh, I was, I've been very impressed with some of the stands that Randy's taken uh, COVID protocols at the event. And then after the tragic events uh, at the uh, concert in Houston, um, some taking a, a stand, and you can speak from experience on this on crowd safety at events and how to communicate. We get into all of that in the show. I highly recommend his book, Dark Days, a memoir. Uh, and I am looking forward to the sequel, which he tells me he is working on. And, uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. He is a sweet guy. If you're not interested in heavy metal at all, don't worry about it. That's not the topic of this conversation. I think you'll like this interview. Good to see you, man. Yeah, how you doing? I'm doing excellent. I'm really excited to do this. You feel uh, relaxed and uh, replenished after the tour, after your your downtime after the tour?
2: Uh, (laughs) uh, Not a lot of downtime. since. Since the you know it, we are not on the road, but right, you know, always working on things. So, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, I think did you did you find from the pandemic that you got much more used to being home? Like, it, for me, it's like now I can't comprehend how much I used to travel, and then how integrated the disruption of it. I how integrated with the disruption of it. I I
2: became with the, with this disruption of travel. Yeah. Just like how, just how, how used you got to traveling,
0: how used, how used I, yes, I got very familiarized with the craziness of being on the road home. Sometimes not set, just like being going a miles, a mile a minute. And now when I go travel, I go do something. I come back. I'm like, I got to take like three days to recover from this. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, It's, ah, man. Um, It it was a very weird tour, you know what I mean? Like everything was so restrictive Mm -hmm. uh, and the, and the sort of camaraderie that you experience, particularly with other bands uh, on the road was fairly non-existent. I mean, we talked to each other outside our, our buses, but we weren't hanging out in each other's dressing rooms and all that other stuff. So it was a very sort of, um, oddly connected but extremely isolated at the same time feeling. you were siloed and, yeah exactly in front of thousands of people every night so yeah. it was it was very bizarre uh and i'm still kind of trying to make sense of it all um as far as the traveling thing and it, and it's sort of wearing on me like we, we're going to miami i mean not miami we're going to fort lauderdale tomorrow morning we have a one gig um i'll get up and go to the airport and leave at like eight, uh, and go to this big festival in, in Florida for one day and turn around and come back. And I'm already kind of like, Ugh. cause I just went to Florida for a 24 hour trip yeah. last week for a photo shoot. So, um, it, it was really weird. You know, it's, it's very, what was so commonplace for me is just like, get up and go. I noticed before this last tour, one thing I noticed there was a difference is it took me a lot longer to pack Yes. right for it was seven weeks and I quite literally before the pandemic I'm so used to I can leave uh for two months uh, hitting every different climate possible you know because we've done this you know yeah. Finland in the winter and then you you know you're in Australia or whatever so you <laughs> yeah. have to bring all possible sorts of clothes um you know, I could do that in, in an hour. And this time I'm just like, Oh my God, I need this. I got, you know, I gotta, I gotta have my toothbrush. I just, all these things that you're used to just having at home at your, at your ready disposal.
0: Yeah. Like I found like, I used to be able to work really well on planes and now, now I'm like, what happened? I, it's like, I had this, I used to be able to speak this language and now I can't speak the language anymore. And I'm mm-hmm. I, there's part of me that's like, oh, did I lose something? And then the, another part of me is like, no, I'm probably, I'm probably used to a year and a half at home, operating on a more locked in frequency. And now, mm-hmm. like, I'm sitting around. I'm like, this is not a conducive environment to productive creative
2: work. This is this is right. you, you used to be able to write on planes. You're one yes. of those guys, right? See, yeah. I've never ever ever been that guy. For some reason, I wish. Wow. I mean, I have this total uh, romantic fascination with the, the lost generation, as Gertrude Stein uh, mm-hmm. described it, to the point that, you know, I've traveled the left bank of Paris and the Catia Latin, hitting every, you know, cafe and and bookstore and place where Hemingway, you know, farted or whatever, just so I could like, I could be sure. there, you know, and I have this romantic sort of vision of, of him and, and other people working in the cafes and writing and journaling and all this stuff. And I've tried to do that and I fail miserably every single time. I cannot have anyone around me when I'm writing and the plane is like, uh, even if nobody's looking, it's, I, I feel their presence. You know? Totally get it. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to talk a little bit about the
0: the tour, uh, but let's do that at the end. Um, okay. Let's start with, okay. So, uh, do you know who james stockdale is yes of course so he, he he wrote this book uh, after his time in the pow camp in vietnam and it was it was sort of the the sub it's called courage under fire but the subtitle is testing epictetus's doctrine in the laboratory of human experience
2: yes i own it it's very okay. short
0: yes it's it's almost yes. a pamphlet basically yes, yes but, I, I
2: i read it the uh, two or three months ago i got oh
0: it. did you get it at the painted porch is that where you got it by chance Cause I knew you were here. I wondered if I, I we carry, it. I've never seen it physically anywhere. Maybe no, I didn't, be... I, I didn't get it at the painted
2: porch. I'd ordered it online. I Anyways. already had it. I already had it before I came to the painted porch.
0: So it's, it's a delightful little book, but I, mm-hmm. I love it because it's like, here you have this guy who studied philosophy. Mm-hmm. Then he goes and experiences this horrible thing. And then mm-hmm. he sort of is like, well, now I can tell you whether this philosophy holds up or not, right? Right. Under under real life, you know, live fire conditions. Exactly. Now, your experience is a little bit different, but I wanted to start there. Where, as someone who studied philosophy, done a lot of work on yourself both before and after, what is spending time in a Czech prison teach you about this stuff, right? Like how 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 have you found that these ideas, or any of the things that you've learned stood up to the laboratory that, the, that, that that you found yourself trapped in for
2: I don't even remember exactly how long but 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 how did it stand up? Um, I think, First of all, can I mention how I found out about stoicism? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's no uh, it's not a a secret that I'm an alcoholic. I happen to be one who's been sober for 11 years now, you know. Um, But yeah, I drank and drugged and, and partied like musicians do fairly, uh, I gave it a Herculean effort for 22 years. You, <laughs> you know? did your best. I did my best. I gave it the old college dropout try. Right. And it just didn't work out for me in the end. It was, I was just miserable and I wanted to die. But towards the end of my drinking, I, you know, I was looking for some sort of answer other than the one that's obviously staring me in the face. Like, Hey, you're an alcoholic. You got to stop. I went to go see a, a shrink. Uh, this counselor, um, his name is Ted. I wish I could remember his last name because I think I still owe him money from our last session. But I was going to him and I was still drinking at the time and I was complaining a lot about, you know, problems I was having in my relationship, with my work and, you know, all of this is stemming from my alcoholism. But he's he's being cool and he's trying to kind of deal with me without directly saying, you got to get sober, dude. You know, Um because I was kind of beating around the bush with him. He's like, I want to do, do you know who Epictetus is? And I'm like, no, he's like, he is a, uh, a philosopher of, of the school of stoicism. You know, he was a slave and he wrote this book called the Interidian or the, or the manual. And I forget which translation he had. Um, I think it's one, it's a newer one by a woman. Um, Sharon LaBelle. I had her yes. on the podcast. Yes. yes, The yes. art of yes. living. Yes. That that's the one. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's on my shelf over there. So I bought it. And I was reading it and it was making sense, but because I was still deep within the throes of my alcoholism, I could not internalize and really apply the lessons there, but the seed was planted, you know? And then a few years later, when I got sober, I picked Epictetus back up, you know? So that was probably pretty, pretty early into my first year of sobriety, you know? Um, and when I got arrested, uh, I was about a year and a half sober. Um, so I think for me, um, I don't think it was so much, A, a, a I've studied some uh, some some meditation techniques via Zen Buddhism as well. Um, Soto Zen Buddhism, my friend Brad Warner is a Buddhist teacher in that school. Um, and that sitting still and and recognizing reality um, that came from from sort of meditation, that practice that served me well. Reading some of um Epictetus at that time, I hadn't gotten into Marcus Aurelius or Seneca yet, but reading Epictetus and trying to I think I internalized some of like his. External conditions did not define his emotional state because he right. you know, was a slave who was, we don't know to what degree, crippled, I suppose. Um, and thinking about that and thinking about the end of my drinking, where I was so miserable and just wanted to die when I was in prison, I was like, this sucks, right? There's no way around it. This is not a good time. And, and it's very scary and all that other stuff. But I at least want to live. I at least want to sort of make the best of this situation, whereas a year and a half ago, I didn't care if I lived or died. So there's like these the little things. Yeah, (laughs) the (laughs) the little things, the little things became extremely important uh, in in prison. Uh, But I actually I wrote a friend of mine from prison where I was like, um, I would rather do another five or 10 years in here than drink again, because I think I can survive five or 10 years in here. You never know, but I think I can do it. But I'm pretty sure I would not survive another round with alcoholism. You know, I'd blow my brains out or someone would kill me or something like that. So I tried to remain grateful for like the things I had rather than becoming resentful for the things I didn't have, you know, and I think that's kind of a, a key for me to regulate my um, my emotional temperature, I suppose, most of the time when I'm good, when, when, I, when I actually sit back and do that. I fail at it miserably a lot. I think of course, we all do but but i try at least you know
0: so so, was, I, they, so, so trying, for the timeline yeah. the timeline is you were you were introduced to the stoics you're you're struggling with sobriety you you start to get sober and then this all happens so you're carrying that into what must have been a surreal bewildering i need a drink series of moments over
2: like a year and a half right yes um but Yes. Yes. That's what definitely, but I, I would not characterize it as a, I need a drink. I mean, maybe for normal people, I I think, I think that was a big fear of, of my, my friends, my family, my business associates there. I know it was cause they told me they were worried I was going to drink. Um, and honestly, it was the last thing on my mind because I was like, I I don't know what's going to happen um, in here. I have, I don't have a crystal ball. I have to stay present. I have to stay in the moment but I do know that if I get drunk, it's definitely not going to help things at all, <laughs> because I have proven that with 22 years of hard research, right? I'm a knucklehead. So I, I, I did two decades. I think it's safe to assume that I could, you know, with great confidence, say that drinking, you know, is not only not going to solve my problems, it's going to make things worse. Sure. You know, so
0: so. How does the philosophy hold up then? I mean, you had obviously hadn't spent years studying it, but mm-hmm. suddenly your freedom is taken from you, and not that dissimilar to the way Epictetus or Stockdale or or right. any of the Stoics who sort
2: of experience this kind of severe adversity. How, how does it? How does it stand up? I, you know, it does. It stands up one hundred percent. I'm not going to say that I was like this uh bodhisattva like figure of calm in prison at all times you know because that's i just wasn't but um and i and i was facing a, a very uncertain future but it, it it the the sort of philosophy of 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 embracing uh your current circumstances and not trying to not not trying to um i don't know wish futilely that you were anywhere, but where you are right at that moment, it works. It works so, so well. Um, you know, I, I, I saw people in there who were, were miserable, always thinking, Oh, you know, that this person did me wrong and that's why I'm here. And, I'll, or, or, conversely, constantly projecting in the future. When I get out of here, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm like, we, we have to take care of right here, right now, you know? Um, Cause that's all that really exists. If I have one foot in the past and one foot in the future, I'm pissing on the present. And even though right now sucks, you know, I, I have to address my situation right now. Um, and I have to be cognizant of the fact that that a I'm, 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 I'm not in like, let's say Afghanistan or something getting shot at, you know, I have a roof over my head. Is it leaky and 137 years old? Yes. Uh, I have food. Is it terrible? Yes. (laughs) Um, but it's not Stockdale's prison. It's not Stockdale's prison. Yes. No, it's not. And you know, I, I have, you know, I I know guys who did a lot more time than me and they came out and, and survived it, you know, and I, and I have a lot of friends that, I always bring up like, you know, as I just did, like Afghanistan or something, I have friends in the, in gone through some horrific stuff in the military, you know? Um, it's like, it, it wasn't a good time for me, but I, I, I know people who have been through worse, you know? And, and, and it's, and, and that gives me sort of grounding in, in, in the state of my current reality. That's, That's one of the things that has annoyed me the most about this freaking pandemic and and the news cycle and so forth is the, this, I wish we could make this term outlawed until someone, until everybody promises to use it correctly, which is unprecedented, the term unprecedented and these unprecedented times, they're very precedented. They're entirely (laughs) precedented, you know, in the last 100 years. Even exactly the, violent, years. The, the violent toilet paper hoarders. We had that in the 70s, you know, during the gas shortage. Johnny Carson made a joke on TV. He's like, oh, you know what else was short on toilet paper. That set off a four month toilet paper hoarding spree. There were fights in the grocery store. Sure. This is ridiculous. So this I think this feeling of like these people. A lot of people, and and the media doesn't help. These unprecedented times, these unprecedented times, these unprecedented times, they. It's not to me because I was raised by a grandmother who was raised during the depression, and I was constantly reminded that I didn't know what hard times were. You know, stuff is. I, I grew up with stories like that, so it's not unprecedented. Well, know, even yours, even here. your situation, tragically,
0: is not only not unprecedented; it's not uncommon, right? Mm-hmm. The, the fact that it happened to a musician for something that happened while they were performing on stage was a little unusual. Yeah. But like, uh, I mean, prisons are filled with people in precisely your situation tragically, but there's
2: dozens of memoirs about specifically what you were going through. Yes. 100%. You know, mine, uh, just got a a, a little, uh, attention right from the beginning because I'm a fairly well-known musician, you know, that's the only other thing, but I mean, uh, what, everybody, what was the most common question? I guess when I got out, like, was it like midnight express, you know, the, the guy who went to the Turkish prison or whatever. i yeah. like, no, it wasn't that bad. It, it was pretty <laughs> bad, but it wasn't that bad. You know, I gotta give you that. Well, I wrote, I
0: wrote down four emotions that I suspect you would have experienced or that I suspect I would experience if I was in your situation. I'd love to know how you processed them or thought about them while you're right. there. So, um, the first, I guess, it's not really an emotion, but this sense of unfairness, right? Why me? Uh, th- this isn't right. Uh, it shouldn't have happened to me. How do you process that? That feeling, which I imagine must have been the most, a pretty, pretty, pretty straightforward one.
2: Uh, I think um, perhaps there was some of that. Um, you know, like. This sucks. Why me? Uh, and and there was a sort of political aspect to the situation for sure um, with the prosecuting attorney, particularly. Um, I think there was some of that, but it, not really that much. I was too worried about trying to do and well do the right thing for for myself and for the situation uh, in the time um, and not do anything that would make the situation worse. I think it was just so like, I think it was just so abrupt and such a reality check that it it wasn't really like, why did this happen to me? You know? Um, And and in fact, you know, in thinking precisely about the specifics and and I've talked to a bunch of other musicians when I got out. um, I mean, we had security, protocols in place a contract all this other stuff that was not met the whole thing was a a tragic accident one that i carry with me till i'm dead this is something you know but it was something that um was kind of waiting to happen sooner or later it just was and so i know just fell on you yeah i i told a bunch of my musician friends are like damn dude you caught the bullet and i'm like yes everybody pay attention like block make sure security is tight, make sure the barricades are, are placed correct. Everybody, and I, you know, a lot of people paid a lot of attention to that, you know? So I don't think it was so much why me. Um, I, I was a little too worried about trying to uh trying to, I don't know, trying to to do the correct thing in this situation. So what about fear, right?
0: What's gonna happen to me? What could happen to me in prison? You know uh, how do you how did yes. you deal with the fear <laughs> uh,
2: you know sometime it, it was a minute to minute thing I mean it's scary. um I was the top news story in that in that country for a while, and I went to first to a jail um the city jail for three days, and then they sent me to prison for thirty seven i think pancrat's prison uh and the first time I, I walked into the cell block, everybody, they were lining people up. Everybody went and looked at me, you know, it's like, it was like a scene in the movie and everyone there knew who I was. Cause I was a news story, you right. know? So it was pretty scary. Um, I think I just tried to take things one minute at a time. And that's something I learned in sobriety, right. In getting sober, because when you, when you first get sober, uh, and it's a cliche, you hear it say one day at a time, you know, when it, that, that worked, it was an invaluable tool for me in prison and handling fear. And sometimes it's just one minute at a time. Like, here's this new situation. I'm not going to try and project uh, too many catastrophic outcomes upon this. If I can, I'm just going to handle this one second at a time. So um, there was that sort of trying to stay in the moment and not catastrophize everything, you know? Um, And then there was also uh, because, you know, for lack of a a better term, I believe in a God or a higher power. I'm not talking about, you know, the the dude in the robes, the Judeo-Christian or whatever tradition. I, I just believe in a, in a, in some sort of higher power. And I constantly 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 uh was talking to that higher power and saying not saying please please get me out of this because i didn't know what the the truth of the situation was i was curious too because this was an incident that happened two years previous that i had no memory of that we didn't know anything had happened but i was asking you know god for lack of a better term i'm like just give me the strength to get through this with dignity and I didn't ask for a specific I did not ask for a specific outcome I'm like just give me the strength to get through this with some dignity no matter what the outcome is
0: May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. Opening up to a therapist might feel uncomfortable, exhausting, or exhilarating, but one thing's for certain: if you keep talking or texting with a licensed therapist, you'll gain insights and uncover truths you can only find in therapy. If you want some personal breakthroughs and judgment free support, you can sign up right now for Talkspace. At Talkspace.com, you sign up online, you get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredible incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist, and you do it from the comfort of your home. There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up child care in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. And to celebrate May, Mental Health Awareness Month, and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering every listener of this podcast 80 bucks off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com slash stoic. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash stoic to get 80 bucks off your first month with code SPACE80. 80 and show your support for the show. That's talkspace.com slash stoic code space 80. I'm just about to go into the studio to record my latest audiobook. My wife and I have been listening to audiobooks. We've been listening to audiobooks in the car as a family just to keep our kids off screens because Audible is amazing. And Audible is also the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases and next to listen recommendations to satisfy every type of thriller listener. If you want breathtaking, sinister, and shocking tales that will enthrall you, even brand new and exclusive thrillers from best selling authors with and you want to check out Audible. My wife and I were just raving about this true crime audio book that we read called Furious Hours. And then I've been raving about this book, Night of the Grizzlies, which I loved. Audio piques the imagination and it brings thrillers to life. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Visit audible.com slash Daily or text Daily Stoic to 500-500. That's audible.com slash Daily or text Daily Stoic to 500-500. So what about anger? Like, this is a little related to the unfairness, but, but what about anger? I'm sure there was frustration at the injustice of it
2: or the the disruption of it or there there was, there was definitely some, you know, there's most of the people, uh, nobody in the, in the prison messed with me. First of all, they all knew why I was there. And they were like, ah, this is like money. This is political stuff, you know? Um, But there were some guards there who were not cool, like (laughs) not not cool guys. And like, um, I, I really had to watch my temper around them. Um, and because you like, you know, acting out and fighting a prison guard just doesn't end well, it just (laughs) doesn't end well for you. You know, it never does. Um, no matter how much of an asshole they are. So I, I really was cognizant of that around a couple of people, um, as far as the the anger, uh, it, it was. I mean, there there was some of that, you know. Um, but I, I like I think everything relates to me through the the lens of my alcoholism, right? And I learned that I cannot really afford to sit in 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 anger. Like everybody gets anger over th- angry over things, you know. Somebody does something, and people should get angry over some things, but. For me and my situation, if I were to get angry and just sit and angry, this sucks. Why are they, you know, why have they doubled my bail? Which they did. You make bail and then they double it. That, that's not how it works here, you know? Yeah. I, I can be angry about it and, and then just sit there and be angry. Or I can, you know, let that pass through me and try and be a little bit more productive. And that's what I really tried to be in prison was productive and actually enjoyed uh, It's I wrote about it in my book and some people are kind of bummed about it, but I, I found that I actually enjoyed moments of stillness in prison. I was like, what is going on? I'm actually kind of happy right now. Um, and it's like, Oh yeah, you aren't on tour constantly going. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it locked me into a specific place. You know, I, everything I tried to focus on involved gratitude basically, you know, and that helped me fight fear and, and anger and, and, and uncertainty. Um, it's just like trying to remain grateful for what I had rather than resentful for what I didn't have. You
0: know, what about, uh, guilt and sadness, uh, about what Mm -hmm. had happened? How did you deal with, uh, I'm thinking about this with like the Alec Baldwin situation, like something happens, you're there. Uh, how do you, whether or not you accept uh, I'm not talking about you specifically, but one one whether one takes full responsibility for something or not or blame for it, it mm-hmm. still doesn't change that it happened and there would be feelings about that.
2: Right. Yes, that is definitely true. And that's a that's a sort of complex. <laughs> how do you deal with that? It's, a, it's like a it's a complex topic. I mean, for me, um, First of all, uh, it was most important for me to find out to the best of my ability exactly what had happened, right? Because uh, a a young fan of my band had died as a result of an injury, uh, you know, at this show. And people, they were, the, the family of this young man just wanted to know what had happened to their son, right? Who wouldn't you're, you're a parent If, if yeah. something happened to your kid, they never came at me in the press. They never attacked me. I got really lucky. Cause I don't know if I would have been that level headed, you know? Um, oh, if, it, did, if
0: the shoe was on the other foot.
2: Yeah. yeah. You know, they, they didn't, I got exceedingly lucky and, and, um, I decided that no matter what happened, I was going to do my best to provide these people with an answer to the best of my ability, to the best of, of, of my memory of what had happened that night, pre- two years previously, you know, I've played thousands of shows. <laughs> it's like, do you, do you, most people can't tell me, Oh, what did you do on Wednesday night, two years ago at right. seven, between seven and eight thirty PM. Right. You know, while
0: um, you were in some sort of flow state,
2: yeah, uh, exactly. Yes. While you're working, like, it's crazy. So, but it, there were so many different rumors and, and so forth um, that I was like, you know, I need to find out to the best of my ability. I'm pretty sure I never tried to hurt anyone. Cause that's why would I, that's our sure. fan, you right. know. uh, that's moronic. But what if I, for me, I, there was, I don't want to say curiosity, intellectual curiosity, but there was a need to know if somebody had brought some sort of evidence or truth that said, you know, Hey, you, you, you did this on purpose and I somehow spaced it, then I would have to be willing to accept responsibility. So I decided, you know, if I'm going to face myself in the mirror and call myself a good man and accountable man, I'm going to do my best to provide these people with these answers. And that's what I did, you know? Um, I got out on on bail and we went on tour to try and pay for my five different lawyers and then went back to trial twice, you know, Um, and luckily was found not guilty. Um, That. The thing for me, how do I deal with it is like I I had a talk with with the family of this young man. After I was found not guilty, they wanted to talk with me and uh, the young man's mother and his uncle. And a lot of the stuff we discuss is private. You know, I'm not, that's not, sure. not going to be good. But one thing that the uncle said to me that I know is they would be happy. And I've spoke on this before. He goes, hey, dude, remember, you can be a spokesperson for safer shows. You can help make this happen. You know, you. Yeah. Uh, so this doesn't happen. And I view that as a responsibility, you know, um, and for me, one way of dealing with the emotions and, and of course there's feelings of guilt. And even though it's a terrible accident, of
0: course, you know, sure. I, if someone ran in front of your car, even yeah. if you weren't to blame, you yeah. would feel guilty.
2: Yeah. I, and, and you feel that it, to some degree, or, or at least pa- passes my mind daily. You know, there's not a day I don't, that goes by that. I don't think about the, what happened and that young man. But for me, one way of dealing with that is to get myself into a course of action a a um a positive course of action to try and help people or to you know to speak on you know make make sure that that these sort of events are safer you know at least on in our end and tragically uh, it just happened you, last week yeah and that was you know pardon my french but that was a clusterfuck and uh you know there, was, there there. was I have a lot of opinions on what happened and not all of it is because uh, I'm not going to armchair quarterback the whole situation because I wasn't there. And I know how rough it is to be on stage and not be able to see what's going on. But I do know that just like in my situation, in my situation, I should have stopped the show that we played. That's where that's where I accept the responsibility. I should have stopped this fucking show because it was dangerous. And we did stop and did tell people don't get on stage. And then it kept happening and kept happening. I should have walked off stage. That's what should have happened in Houston, you know, because Mm -hmm. the, and and the fire marshal of Houston said the one person who has the power really to deescalate, to stop this in a tactical sense is the, is the performer, the guy with the mic, you know, and he was absolutely correct. So And, you know, just as I should have just said, we're done and walked off. um, I think in that situation, he could have at least said, hey, we're stopping playing now. Lights are coming up. Everybody back up because it was obvious something was wrong. You know, Um, I mean, there's there's the worry of causing a riot. Believe me, I've been there, you know, Um, but there's also a way to you have a microphone. There's also a way to control the situation, you know. Um, yeah, there's a
0: we talked about Bruce Dickinson when you visited, but there's a great Iron Maiden clip where he stops a show in the middle yeah. because people are beating the shit out of each other and it, it's falling apart. And you yeah. you have you have a certain amount of power there yes. with the microphone, but yes. it also takes courage and focus and empathy to be able to be like, people are going to hate me for this, but I got to do what I think is right.
2: Yeah, it-
0: the, the responsible thing is.
2: We've done that and we have stopped shows. You know, our band has been around for like 27 years now. I've been in the band 26, you know, we have stopped shows because of fights, because of injuries, because of people grabbing girls, crowd surfing inappropriately. We've been doing this forever since before, uh, you know, anything happened with me and I went to prison and there's, you know, it's, it's just something if you, if you know how to like address the crowd and say, Hey, you know, like, stop, let's help these people. Because if you were down, wouldn't you want someone to help you? And people are like, Oh, okay. And, you know, anyway, to get back to our point, I kind of, you know, I view that as my responsibility if I'm going to play in front of these large crowds of, of people. And that is one way that I sort of temper my emotions around what happened. You know, I'm proactive about. Well, I think that's,
0: it's really interesting because the process you talked about of like, I'm going to see what happened. I'm going to go through this. And then based on the evidence or the information, I'm going to decide, you know, what I owe society or these people, what my level of sort of guilt or mm-hmm. responsibility is. The interesting part of that is how intention, uh, our self-interest from, uh, our obligation can be right. There's that That famous uh, uh, Upton Sinclair line where uh, he says, it's hard to get someone to understand something when their salary depends on them not understanding it.
2: Yeah, I've got to imagine
0: it's hard to get someone to understand something when their freedom potentially depends on them not understanding it. So I imagine Mm -hmm. you probably felt like the idea of like, I'm an open book, let's get to the bottom of this. There must have been a part of you that was also like, that's a very vulnerable place to be because... What it means is you're not saying, I'm going to fight this and protect myself from the consequences no matter what, right? Like there's a tension between what the best legal strategy is and what the best, like being the best person strategy is. And I imagine you wrestled with that
2: a little bit. Yeah, there was a. Yeah, that's that's a good good analysis of the situation. Actually, I mean, it's, it's why they tell of,
0: you not to take the stand in your own defense, right? Right. It's but like, they, but here's let
2: me explain something to you about the way the 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 the, uh, the courts work in the Czech Republic. It's different, right? So there's three judges. There's a hmm. a professional judge, and then two lay judges who are like jurors, right? So um, you know, a majority vote. Uh, the the two lay judges can vote against the professional judge, and it'll still go. Most of the time, though, the the lay judges vote along with the the professional. Uh, the professional judge. Um, and it's an older legal system uh, because up until nineteen eighty nine, the Czech Republic was Czechoslovakia. It was country. It was a communist country, you know. And then they had what they called the Velvet Revolution as the Iron Curtain fell down. So. There, It's an older court system. I can't remember exactly the, the name of it, but there's a lot of, um, I don't know. The, the, these were people that were raised during communist era Russia. And so we had to explain things to them like what does moshing mean? What does crowd surfing mean? These are people who grew up never, not in a heavy metal scene, right? Sure. They had no clue of, of what all that meant. So there was all this sort of like, Video documentation that we presented, like this, is what a concert is like. Because of these people, the the un, the outside untrained eye it probably just looks like some sort of demonic sacrifice or something, <laughs> right. you know? um, And it, it was it was part of like my legal strategy that I formulated with it with the team is to to be as honest as possible and explain the reality of what a, of what one of these shows is like. And I said to prior to them reading the sentence, uh, you know, the decision, I was like, I do not wish to avoid any responsibility that I may hold in this matter because I didn't, but I do not believe that I am guilty of the charge that was, you know, I've been, I've been charged with the crime I've been charged with. And it, it would, it worked, you know, like the, these people, I think they saw that I was, I hate to use the word intellectually curious, but I was I was interested in finding out the truth of the matter. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, I, because I didn't want to avoid responsibility because I wouldn't be able to look at myself in the mirror in the morning. Um, and it wasn't like I got a parking ticket. You know what I mean? Right. I, like I'm not going back to Colorado for a few years because I have a parking ticket. It's like, this is serious business. I, I have to, to deal with this. And I think... That it, we, I just told the truth and it worked, you know, it, it wasn't like, um, I don't know, trying to, I didn't try to color anything in, a, in an unrealistic manner, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, no, no, it does. It makes total sense. So let's go back to the, the, the sobriety thing. Cause I'm, I've always been interested in that. Why do you think, and I don't know if it's actually based on statistics, but it does seem to be an impression. You said you, you, you were sort of drugged and, and partied like a, like a professional. Like a rock star. What, what What is it about the creative professions that seems to either bring that out or attract
2: or enable that tendency? Well, it definitely enables it. And it's particularly in heavy metal. I mean, as long as you can get your ass up on stage and not make too much of a disgrace against you, it's it's expected that you're going to party. I think that sort of paradigm is shifting I think younger people are realizing more and more that it's not cool to be uh, a junked-out mess, It's a know? bad business decision. Yes, it's bad. it really is. Um, uh, I, I, it definitely like um, enables that, though, you know, it, it just does, um, because it's expected. As far as like it attracting um, attracting that the, the, the artist i guess uh the 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 sort of the sort of um cultural myth of of the artist as a as a drug addict or or a um or as an alcoholic that exists right it certainly exists and a lot of people buy into it including i did myself sure. for many years uh not just in the yeah. music thing but as far as writing right i was like like any other angst-ridden 20-something. I'm like, I'm big. Hemingway. Hemingway, dude. Love Hemingway. Love Bukowski. Love Hunter S. Thompson. You know, um, and all these guys are hard drinking, hard partying guys. And so, you know, I did all that. I drank. I womanized. I partied. I got in some fights. I did everything that those guys did except for sit down and write. You know? (laughs) (laughs) I was getting ready. So uh, there's like the, the sort of, cultural mythos that that sells that um and i think a lot of it maybe the one reason why it's so prevalent beyond it like that that's sort of expected and and there's this cultural sort of mythos around it i think a lot of it is is that it's it's cliche but a lot of art comes out of pain right Mm -hmm. um i know it has for me uh and one way that people treat pain is they medicate themselves you know um, so I think there could be uh, sort of, sort of that part of it too, you know? Yeah.
0: It's like, you think, Hey, so, so it's like the pain partly is what makes you creative. The pain's also what makes you driven to achieve mm-hmm. and get adulation and recognition. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a part of you that thinks, Oh, once I get it, the pain will go away. Right. Right. Because now I'm famous. Now I've performed for millions of people. Now I have fans. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's not only not true, but also the lifestyle's a grind, and you, mm-hmm. need, you need something just to get you through the grind of a seven-month tour or a two-and-a-half-year yes. tour. And so it's yeah. sort of a wicked cycle where you bring something to it, it, it doesn't solve your problem, and uh, it exacerbates the problem because yes. you live an untethered existence.
2: Yes, uh, you know, alcohol was not my problem. Alcohol was my solution. Regrettably it is a very ineffective solution after a while. You know, I had some good times drinking. I didn't immediately have a beer and then, you know, turn into a bum in a trench coat, urine stained pants beneath a bridge somewhere. You know, I, I worked hard to get where I was. Um, but I viewed alcohol as as a way, it was a way to quiet the voices in my head that I hadn't I hadn't learned how to cope with um, and a lot of anger at the way the world is, you know, a lot of quote unquote justified anger, you know, um, that just became overwhelming because the world was not behaving as I wanted it to, you know, Um, I had a lot of expectations. Why can't people? Just be cool. Why can't they behave in an ethic ethical manner? Why do they have to do this? Why, 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 why? Why, you know, all these expectations. Um, and expectations are just premeditated resentments, you know? So don't you think that do you think that drink. part of part of what makes someone a good athlete or a
0: good musician or a good inventor or sculptor or whatever it is, is sort of a compulsiveness, right? Like a, like, I can't not write. And when I mm-hmm. don't write, it's painful, right? And the desire yes. to to fiddle and re- return over and over again till you get something exactly right is inherently a compulsive behavior. Just yeah. as uh, a, a, any addiction is a compulsive behavior, mm-hmm. just as whatever you're vaping is probably a com- you, you have a compulsive thing, and it it's that soothes the last,
2: you. The last of my vices. Yeah. <laughs> the nicotine, it's soothing, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's a son of a bitch. Um, it, soothes,
0: it soothes the existential
2: and physical distress. Yes. I, I think, you know, as far as like, for me as a creative person, I do not, if I if I do not create, you're right, it is compulsive in one way or the other, whether it be photography, writing, or music. If I am not creating a lot, uh, then I I get very restless and very irritable and very discontent. And I think that's because for me, making art is my way of understanding my life in that moment of creation. It's kind of how I understand myself. It's how sure. I process all the stuff that is coming at me. And I'm like, okay, I'm feeling this because of this. And I, and I can turn it into a song or an article or whatever, you know? Yeah. So it, it's, it's how I understand life, you know? And, and how you and, get through life. Yes, precisely. So <laughs> I was so, I was talking to my friend
0: uh, Tank Sinatra. He, he's like a meme guy. He was he was saying the other day he was that he was talking to someone. He has like 20 years sober or something. And he was saying that he was talking to someone. He's like, look, some people drink away the pain. Some people screw away the pain. Some people mm. smoke away the pain. You know, some people work away the pain. Um, and uh, he said the person just looked at him and she said, what pain? You know, and, and to me, that's the distinction. I was trying to just talk about, talk to my wife about that. It's like a normal person who doesn't have the wound or the pain, mm-hmm. it's incomprehensible right. why you would need to do any of these things. Right. Because it's 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 a solution to a, a problem that they do
2: not have. Right. Right. Yeah. Not, not everybody is as screwed up as me. <laughs> <laughs> I have to realize that I have to be cognizant of that fact, you know, that there are normal, well-adjusted folks out there. Um, That being said, most of the people I surround myself with in one way or the other are are off kilter some, you know, that's why I I feel at home around them, I suppose, you know, Uh, I really wouldn't know what to do in a crowd of A bunch of people, nobody's ever been arrested or divorced or, you know, some sort of horrible traumatic event hasn't happened to them, you know? Um, But those people exist. Um, I I don't understand that. Um, Like she, the woman said, what pain? It's just like, I I don't understand how someone can just have one beer. I don't get it. Yeah. Like I, I know people can do it. I know it's possible. I've watched it happen many times, but it's just like, why? How can you do that? Why? You know? I want it all. Yeah. It's that compulsive thing, you know? When
0: you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the job. In fact, we were just hiring for Daily Stoic and we found our new podcast editor on LinkedIn Jobs because LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. Over 2.5 small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring like we do, as I was just saying, because LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, sometimes even faster than that. You can hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash stoic. That's linkedin.com slash stoic to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. I talk about that in growth hacker marketing. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Back by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com/stoic. That's netsuite.com/stoic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it's it's just a hand that we get dealt and then mm-hmm. we have to figure out uh Once it becomes clear that you can't do it moderately, Mm -hmm. you have to do it not at all.
2: Right, one hundred percent. And you know, I uh, I don't you know I don't think I made myself an alcoholic. Right? I when I was a little kid, I didn't say you know what I want to grow up and be an alcoholic and (laughs) and ruin my fucking relationships and worry my family and everybody. I, I I think I for whatever reason I just happened to to get that. You know. Um, so I, I, while I, I don't think it's my fault, I am present is my responsibility to deal with it. And I think that's with anyone and, and their problems in life, what it, whatever hand fate has dealt them, you know, we, you can't, you can't bemoan it, but so much there, just, there comes a point where you have to say, okay, I, I have this problem. What am I going to do about it? What am I going to do with this problem? How am I going to find a way to live with this? not your fault but it's still your problem (laughs) yeah it's your problem you know like it it sucks uh but i feel bad for anyone who who has any sort of difficulty but that's your problem that's your responsibility to deal with it's your life i can't live it for you no one can
0: well this idea of responsibility is sort of where i wanted to end up um we don't have to talk about specific people if you don't want to, but I, I found it interesting during COVID. You're talking about the, the power of the musician on stage with the mic, right? right? You might not be have the most authority, but you've got the most power, mm-hmm. right? Um, or you might not have legal accountability for what you're doing, but you still have a certain obligation, right? right. It's been interesting to me in COVID, all different types of businesses, public figures, people, et cetera. And I think you and I are relatively aligned on this, but you disagree if you don't. But but people have just sort of said like, what is I don't what do I owe other people? What do I owe society? Right? This is my job, for instance, is to go around performing uh, indoors with large amounts of people sma- mm. smashed together. Why should I stop doing that in the middle of a deadly pandemic? Right? And then <laughs> and then <laughs> and then other people have said have said uh, you know. I'm not going to do that because it's the wrong thing to do, right? Sort of different. How have you thought about that? Not just in terms of COVID, but your career, you know, we talk about being a role model. We talk about uh, what sort of messages you put out in your music, how one uses their platform. Uh, How have you thought about that?
2: It's very interesting. uh, You would ask that, you know, because I, before we left on, on the last tour, the, actually the day before the first day of the tour, I put up this Instagram post. That I was like, it showed uh, us doing a, a pyro check, actually in Austin, not too far from you. And, and it's like, this is what I would suggest. If you're going to come to a show, be vaccinated and yeah. uh, also wear a mask. Is it going to suck? Is it going to be uncomfortable? Yes, but you can do it. And because I wore masks the whole time when I wasn't on stage, yeah. you know, except for when we're in our tour bus and it was, we were hot. It was outdoors. It sucked. Yeah. You know, no doubt about it, but it, it's, it's what I felt was necessary to for us to be able to do this safely. And it, it, it was, was, oh man, because there's so many different people with different, like, I don't control whole tour you know what i mean there's there was another band on there where the front man of the tour had some very different opinions about what was you know what was right and what was wrong or uh or what was real um but i i i I, uh (laughs) i tried to just do to the best of my ability the right thing to take care of myself and the people around me and we looked at the situation at the time and it outdoors, you know, and I don't blame people who didn't come. Some people didn't come to the show because of this. I would
0: have loved to come. I just, I
2: just I know. didn't make it work. Yeah. No, of course not. Right. You know, you, um, but it, it's it was it felt like um, and we made it all the way to the end of our tour. We're one of the few bands that, that did it, you know, um, and I think that's because the majority of the people on the tour were very cautious. You,
0: you uh, mean you made it without any cases just blowing up the plans?
2: Yeah. 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 Like, I mean, there was like uh there were some crew cases that that happened and they were immediately isolated you know um off the tour put in a hotel for yeah. however many days until it can can go away um but it it, it was that sort of the train left the station it was it was a very strange i felt like almost like we were the canaries in the coal mine like the sure. sort of experiment and and, and i kind of looked at it in that way um in in like I, I can try and do my best to do this safely to see if we can pull this off um and we did you know um we did and other people it, i i don't know what happened with other tours but so i i know i do know some inside stuff that I, i'm not going to gossip yeah. about you know that some people caught COVID on other tours because this or that or the other you know they weren't cautious and then, you know, that spread through other things. All I tried to do is con- like control myself and, and, and do that to the best of my ability. But it, it's definitely there's some self-questioning going on there.
0: But what I thought was so interesting about the message that you posted is it was bad for business, right? Like you were telling people yes. that to, to do a thing that was in their interest. But financially, not really in your
2: interest. No, not in my interest at all. And I'll still, I'll still speak at things that are not in my financial interest. You know, it's it's. But it's interesting how people struggle with that, right? Like
0: it seems obvious. Like why would you tell? But it seems obvious, and yet, like I've been amazed. I've not just been amazed at people who haven't spoken up about things. I'm not just talking about COVID. It's like you have a platform. You should use that platform to say what you think you know, to, to make right. the world a better place, if you like. And then you have people like the person you mentioned, or there are some other musicians uh, who, you know, you sort of think is a person who's tethered to reality or a good person. And then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, you not only don't think you have an obligation, you went the other way. Your, your mm-hmm. thing makes the world an actively worse place, right? You're using your platform to spread misinformation or to rile people up or to divide
2: them. It's right. kind of, it, it's interesting. But now, but do people who, Like suppose you're a musician and you get up there and you're like, this isn't real. The government is like controlling us. This is all a scam, and you know they're putting nanobots in the vaccine or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, right. Like those people, I don't. And 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 it's hard. It's hard to look at these people with compassion sometimes. But I I think some of those people think they're doing the right thing. I know they they believe and and to. it it's, I mean, it's common sense to me. Obviously, the the pandemic is real, and vaccines work, and all this other stuff. It's just common sense. But to sit there and like, I, I suppose, like, I don't know, sit in some sort of high horse of judgment and say these fucking idiots, like they're they're spreading this misinformation or whatever. For me, it's kind of an interesting question. It's like, why do you believe this? You right. know, why 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 when the evidence is so clearly sits on the other side you know um but these people do believe it you know um i was talking to someone the other day with like a
0: very large platform like a very famous person and they were sort of quietly this was off the record but they were like you know telling some uh some let's just call it uh uh not factual based things right like about about covid right just like what about this what about this what about this and i'm Mm -hmm. sort of like well, you know, here's, here are the facts, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And the response was sort of like, um, oh, well, I don't know that much about this. Right. And then it's like, then shut the fuck up. right? Right. Like, so it's this interesting thing where people struggle, I think, with stopping and thinking about the implications or the consequences of their words or actions. Right. Right. And I think this goes back to what we were talking about, uh, with a musician on stage and the crowd getting unruly. It's like, yeah, stopping the show is going to be unpopular and there are risks associated with it, Mm -hmm. but not doing something is also risky. And so how do you, with great power comes great responsibility, I guess is
2: the old expression. Yes, it's true. And it's a sticky thing and it's, you know, I'm, we're going to play this festival this weekend. I'm just going to put something up in my Instagram stories because apparently people at that gig were waving their hands and some of them were chanting and all that stuff. From the performer's perspective, and I guess there were, what, 50K people at that festival? Oh, uh, the World. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was 50K. I mean, we've played audiences twice that size. And nothing has happened because, A, we're from a subculture where it may look extremely violent, but everybody takes care of each other. Yeah. There's a, a, a um, it's a subculture. There's, there are there's rules a, and, there, uh, yeah, and understanding. There, yeah. yeah. There's an unwritten sort of code. We watch out for each other. Um, but from even, even in that situation, things can go wrong. And as a performer, being on stage with the lights in your face and all that, it's, it's impossible to keep your eye on 50,000 people all at once. Sure. And if people are waving their hands like this, that blends into a whole other crowd, right? Right. So like what I've seen personally that has made me or my bandmates notice when something is wrong is when people go like this over their head, like an X Sure. in Japanese, it's called the Batsu. It means something's wrong, you know, or you can't come in here, but that's pretty, it's also an air traffic controller, like stop. Right or or like this over your head. Timeout. Yeah. Timeout. Timeout. Yeah, yeah. People yeah. people will notice that. By the way, anyone who's going to a festival put a big X or the timeout sign over your head if something's the matter. I've noticed it. You know, people just waving their hands and screaming, and fifty thousand people in the audience, you don't notice anything. You know, um. So I don't know why I just said that, other than I wanted no, to no, it's gr- out I, there because it's, I it's think a valuable thing.
0: No, I think what you're saying is you can't afford like. New events have reminded you of the seriousness of the or the stakes of the of the job that you do. Yes, yeah. And so, how can you proactive, a Stone? How do you proactively communicate ways of avoiding precisely that kind of tragedy? And to be able exactly. to to speak to people, or specifically that crowd, and go, "Hey, we're going to get crazy tonight, but if something's the if something's the matter, here's how you can communicate that with me." Yes, and we can avoid an unnecessary tragedy.
2: Yes, that's that's what um that's that's why I said that. Also, but not not in in such I didn't not put it in such a clear manner as you and base it in stoicism at all. I was just like I need to get this out of my mind before I forget. In case anyone listens to this, put your hands up in an X above your head.
0: <laughs>
2: you know, it's important.
0: It's very important, and and it, it look it doesn't bring the people back who have perished, Mm-mm. but it is a way to. And it doesn't, so it doesn't undo the tragedy, but it prevents us from unnecessarily compounding the tragedy by continuing it.
2: Right. And also I, you know, that's, I keep saying it, but we're, we're part of a subculture where there's rules and so forth. You know, I, I can only speak to the people that are going to listen to me, you know, and those are the ones that are going to, to come out and see us. And, and so For me, it's important to communicate in a clear manner to our audience, you know, not try and, I guess, bring up the the Kardashians and say, you should have done this, you know, or or whatever. I I have to, I have to be an effective agent of change within the parameters of my existence.
0: Within the dichotomy of your control, as the Stokes would say. Yeah. So last question, because you one of your, your biggest songs is titled this, it's a theme in your writing. It's a theme, obviously, in heavy metal, and then you've been up close and personal with it. Talk to me about Memento Mori and, and what that means to you and, and maybe what you took watching the possibility of your life or your freedom being taken from you, your right. livelihood being taken from you, which is a form of death in the modern world. What what does this idea of meditating on your mortality mean to you
2: in my my pocket at all times? There you go. I love seeing that. Um, and actually it's my second one because the first one I left in a cab somewhere,
0: just hit me Uh, up, hit me up anytime you
2: lose them and I'll, I'll replenish. (laughs) You're the best. Um, for me, I think the concept momentum, Mori." um, and I, I'd heard it before I, I really started, um, tying it with stoicism i heard someone told me it's like oh the monks the ancient mon- the, the christian monks would would say this you know remember one day you too shall die um and and uh as i get older um and and i'm kind of i'm writing about this in, in the new book i'm working on some i think more and more about my mortality because physically i feel it my body hurts more and more as a 50 year old man um who still acts like he's 17 on stage. I feel it more and more and more. And, um, you know, more and more people that are older than me that are are either family or friends are dying. So that is bringing my mortality closer to my own face, you know? Um, And I think I see people who who try and, and deal with death, I think, by ignoring it. Sure you know, um like, and I think that's a hu- actually a huge problem in our culture now, particularly with elderly people. People put them in a home and lock them away, and whereas they used to die at home, right, you know, and I think we've lost that sort of intimate uh, relationship with death within our families we used to have so for me um like for instance, my grandma died like ten days just before the tour started I was oh, sorry it's it's all right she was 100 years old wow
0: yes so she I, experienced the the first pandemic yes in <laughs> infancy <laughs>
2: Yes. uh but she i was with her every day for the last three weeks of her life when she went to hospice and all that other stuff and i watched her slowly decline and i was there and present with her you know and i and i i a family member always was. And I was there the night she died. I spent the night by her side and it was extremely important to me and, and to the rest of my family that a family member was there because we don't want to let them die alone. Sure. Um, And, and that's just not the way we are. So for me, Being there, it was such an honor to be there because this woman helped raise me so much, you know, to be there and provide some manner, measure of comfort and let her know she wasn't leaving this world alone, was was so important to me. But it also made me reflect on, on my own situation and the, the whole meditating on death. I think for some people it's, it seems depressing or whatever. And for me, it's just maintaining a firm grasp on reality and trying to it encourages me to make the most of what time I have here. You know, uh, it really does because it's fleeting, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 the more you become aware of mortality, the, the the less time you have to to waste on on frivolous things. You know, which I, I spent a lot of time doing. So. um, and also the, the sort of iconogra- the iconography of, of, of Memento Mori with the skull and all that stuff. Skulls are, I'm, I'm in a heavy metal band. It's just cool.
0: <laughs> this is part of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, I think in the Czech Republic, if I'm there's a a, in a church made Kutnohora, out
2: oh. I went there after I was pronounced not guilty. I have pictures wow. from it. It's the,
0: the, it's just for people who, don't, yeah, people who don't know what we're talking about. It's a church made out of the bones of the monks who uh, served there
2: what happened was it's yes there's there's a couple of ossuaries in here but what happened is 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 a small it's like i don't know 45 minutes outside of prague we took a train there me and my lawyer but a a a a priest there back in the day went to the holy land went to israel and he came back and he had some soil from israel and he put it on the church grounds so everybody wanted to be buried there right because it's holy so soon the the graveyard was filled up everybody in the village had died or whatever and you know no more room there but then the plague came and all these people died and they just dumped all these bodies on the church grounds and they had no more room to bury them so they just turned them into this incredibly ornate chapel downstairs and upstairs it's thousands of skulls and so forth you know to walk through there it it was really intense to, to to be there couldn't it'll put hold your up.
0: problems in it'll put your problems in perspective.
2: Yes. Yes. And That's what it's about. You know, like perspective. Well, and,
0: and just to tie it back to your grandmother again, we say unprecedented times and it's like, no, there are people who are alive who experienced this exact thing 100 years ago mm-hmm. and many times since in the last 100 years and worse. Yes. World War One, World War Two. You know, like it, it's a. Uh, there is no normal. Normal is awful in a way, yeah. right? Normal yeah. is this kind of stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Um, and it just, I think in our, in our society where this sort of digital society where everybody's glued to their phone, constantly looking for this update, 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 update of the latest now, 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 like we, we lose this big picture. We really do and i find that i remain on a much more even emotional keel when i remember that i am just one small grain of sand in, in the vast beach that is time you know my experience is just one tiny little piece
0: that's a beautiful place to stop man uh, look i'm so glad we got connected and uh that i got to meet you and uh, i can't wait to see you on the uh, on the next tour yes sir My new book, Courage is Calling, is now officially a New York Times bestseller. Thank you so much to everyone who supported the book. It was literally and figuratively overwhelming. We signed almost 10,000 copies of the book, which just, you know, it it hit me right here. And I appreciate it so much. If you haven't picked up a copy or you want to pick up a signed copy as a gift, please do. You can get your copy at dailystoic.com slash is. Calling, or you can just go to store.dailystoic.com. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Daily Stoic early and ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen early and ad free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts.
1: Do you want to hear about the $100 wedding dress that just saved
3: Abercrombie? Or the tech acquisition that was just like Game of Thrones? Or the one financial equation that can solve climate change? Then check out our daily podcast, The Best One Yet, or as we call it, This is Nick. This is Jack. And we pick the three most interesting business news stories every day for the perfect mix. 20 minutes each morning, you're going to feel brighter. We call it pop biz, don't we, Jack? Where pop culture meets business news. So whether you want to kick off a conversation with your buddies, or you're going for that promotion at work, or you just want to know the trends before your friends, feel brighter by starting your morning with us every weekday. Listen to the best one yet on the Wondery app or wherever you get your pods. You can listen to the best one yet ad-free right now. on Wondery Plus. For more deep dive and daily business content, listen on Wondery, the destination for business podcasts. With shows like The Best One Yet, How I Built This, and many more, Wondery means business.